everybody and welcome. Let me start out by saying that this is definitely not the format that I wanted to communicate through this morning. However, things at Old Providence are not really conducive to an in-person worship service this morning. Um, in, in the best interest of the congregation's safety, the worship committee decided yesterday afternoon that there would be no services today, including youth group and little lambs. Uh, part of the rationale behind this decision was not only the road conditions around Old Providence, but much more importantly, the majority of our parking lot, um, most of our parking spots are gone. We're, we're really down to a few ices everywhere. So here we are. I'm, I'm in the uh, Providence Hall right now in case somebody didn't get the one call or see it on WHSV. And that is the case with one person. So I'm not by my lonesome in here and I'm grateful for that. But I'm also grateful for the technology that we have that we can uh, have this, this time together, this format. So, um, speaking of this time, it's going to be very, very simple. Going to make some announcements. I'm going to pray and preach, and then we are done. Don't worry, Martin, there is not going to be a one-man choir anthem or anything like that. Um, no, uh, no special music. Now, that being said, big announcements, okay? Um, one week from today, we will be meeting as a congregation to act on a recommendation from the session concerning our sanctuary flooring. Now, I know originally the call went out that said we would be having a split meeting, that we would begin our meeting after the 9 a.m. worship service and that it would conclude after the 11 a.m. service. And that may still be the case, but we may, we might end up canceling Sunday school in order to have one congregational meeting at 1015 between the two services. The session is going to decide that today as well. So stay tuned to One Call, uh, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. And if you are not on One Call and you want to be, please get in touch with Stephanie and we can add you. So stay tuned for that announcement because it will be decided today. And speaking of the session making decisions, the session and the diaconate are meeting today at 3 o'clock. And though there is no youth group or little lambs today, next week youth group is going to go ahead with its service project at the Valley Mission serving food. So if you haven't signed up to help with that, please get in touch with Carol Mish. You can get in touch with me or Stephanie. We, we can get you plugged in and do plan on being here next week, especially our members, um, certainly for worship, but also for that congregational meeting um, that will be taking place. Now, uh, another couple of things. Prayer meeting resumes Wednesday night at 645, Lord willing. I, I think it's supposed to warm up this week, so we should be here for that. And, of course, daily devotionals are Monday through Thursday. And those are available starting at 6 a.m. on Facebook and on Sermon Audio. Now, with all of these announcements being made, let me just say again how much I appreciate this time with you. That, that we have this technology that when church is canceled, we can still at least have this. And I'm grateful for you being here. Now, as we begin this time, let's go to the Lord in prayer. One of the, the folks I'm going to pray for this morning is Sylvia Richmond. She is going to be having surgery tomorrow, as supposed to, at UVA to have the, uh, the rod removed from her leg that they had to put in some time ago. And so we need to be in prayer for Sylvia and certainly other concerns. But let's take this time to go to our Lord in prayer as we begin. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to have this time together. I thank you for everybody um, that is able to join us, for everybody that will eventually see this. I am grateful for the technology that exists. 
Um, Father, you have blessed us in so many ways. And yet, as we think about things like the blessing of technology and all of this communication, we are reminded of ways that we take blessings from you and turn them, ways that we take your creation and instead of honoring you with it, we dishonor you. And, and Father, this all points to a much deeper problem in that we are sinners and we are in need of forgiveness. As we consider our own lives, we know that we seek after our own way. We know that, that we would rather do things our way instead of your way. And sometimes it's not just the things we do, it's the things we never get around to. And we're so good at coming up with reasons as to why we do what we do to, to, rationale, to, to rationalize our, our sinfulness. So, Father, please, by your Holy Spirit and in your mercy, please help to, to cut through all of these things so that we would be focused on you, so that we would be committed to you, loving you, all based on the fact that you love us and you provide for us in every way. Let us reflect on these things. As we talked about last week in the sermon, let us reflect on that which is pure, which is true, which is noble, and in so doing, let our focus be on you. Certainly we face challenges to this, Father, challenges of all sorts of varieties, challenges of the physical. Um, as I've already mentioned, Sylvia is having her surgery tomorrow, and we pray that you would be with her on that, or in that. We, we know others have had surgery just this past week. Um, we pray that you would continue to be with those that are recovering, like Corey, and we thank you for your blessings, but we ask that they would continue. Father, please watch over others that I haven't mentioned that are facing not some new form of sickness, but they're dealing with the same thing they've been dealing with for quite some time. Bless them and keep them, Father. We know that we face other struggles, too. Sometimes it's weariness. Sometimes it's disappointment. Sometimes it's sinfulness. It can be so many different things. Please, again, work in our hearts, work in our minds, and let us realize that we are not the victims of our circumstances, that we don't need to go looking for a reason to feel sorry for ourselves. But instead, in your grace and in your mercy, you walk, work all things as you do, and you do what you do because you love us. So let us embrace our circumstances, whatever they may be, all for the purpose of having gratitude to you and for you, all for the purpose of proclaiming your holy name, we pray that you do this not only for us at Old Providence, but that you would do it for your church universal and that as a result, the world would be impacted and changed, all for you and for your kingdom. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. All righty. Transparency time. Um, as I got the word yesterday about cancellation of today's service, my mind started scrambling, really, really scrambling, right? I went... I went back and forth uh, about what I should prepare for this morning. And no, that's not because I hadn't prepared for anything as of 4 p.m. yesterday. It's just that I know that while many of you can be here in person for our worship services, not all of you can. And we're finishing up Philippians. We've been in Philippians for some time since really the fall, and we only have two sermons left. And, and everything is building to these final two sermons. And I did not want to go ahead with those sermons and, and mess everything up. Speaking of messing everything up, I feel like I'm preaching to a train. So I'm going to move this around really quickly. Bear with me here. There we go. Let's see. How's that? Ah, much, much better. Oh, drastically better. Now, 
Um, I didn't want to just go ahead with Philippians and, and, and get to this point where people that normally are here would miss the end of the series. So I knew that I had to do something freestanding, and I started thinking about the, just the vast amount of passages, the different places that I could go, um, and that's when it occurred to me. As I was facing all of these different choices, I thought back to, okay, what have we been doing recently? And I said, Christmas. And I said, eh, not going to go back to Christmas, not going to do Advent-related things. And then I thought about the, the, the sermon that I preached at New Year's, right? And what we focused on then. And I thought, how can I do a follow-up? What? And, and, and again, choices, choices. So many things came to mind. And then I said, that's it. Choices. Choices, choosing. How do you choose? How do you do what the Lord is calling you to do? Now, again, that links back to where we were just a couple of weeks ago. If you recall, I preached on Proverbs chapter 3 and how to go forward into the future. Namely, that we shouldn't adopt the worldly mindset, this idea out there in the world that, that we're the masters of our own destiny. Certainly not this idea of the world. I've, I've told you the, the worst advice you could possibly follow is follow your heart. I know it's the most popular thing out there. It sounds great. But God's word tells us that the heart is, is wicked above all things. Who can even know it, right? Uh, instead of following our heart, instead of leaning on our own understanding, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, we should acknowledge, we should know God in all of our ways and he will make our path straight. So how do you go forward into the future? How do you go forward into a new year? That's how. By following God. By doing what it is God would have you do. And doesn't that make sense, practically speaking? I mean, if God is powerful over all things, and he is, and not only that, if, if God loves you dearly and desires what's best for you, and he does, then shouldn't we be focused on what he desires for us? Acknowledging him in all areas of life? Well, of course the answer is yes. And following God's will should be the basis for why we do what we do. But here's the thing. That, that's speaking in broad terms. And that's what we focused on going into the new year. I get that. But what about the specifics of life? We know that we should want to follow God's will for us. But what about those times where we have choices and we say, how do I know? I, I, I don't know what God wants me to do here. How do you choose? Are we to wait for the clouds to form into the shape of a message directly from God? Well, no, that, that's not how God works, not typically at least. And also, we're not to put the Lord our God to the test. You know, the Lord bears patiently with guys like Gideon who, who put out a literal fleece wanting God to show them some specific sign. We're not called to do that, and, and, and we don't have to do that, y'all. What a blessing it is that we don't have to do that sort of thing. We don't have to rely on luck. We don't have to, to cast lots. Instead, God has given us so much more. I think about the words to one of my favorite hymns, right? And I tell you who the author of this hymn is, but interestingly enough, the author remains anonymous. If, if you look up how firm a foundation, and we sing that from time to time in Old Providence, it's in our hymn book. But if you look up how firm a foundation, the author is simply called the letter K, right? No last name, no elaboration, just, just K. 
But as the author to How Firm a Foundation wrote in that great hymn of the same name, he asked, what more can he say than to you he hath said? What more can God say than to you he said? You might say, well, what has God said? How about the word of God? The entirety of God's word wherein he reveals who, we, who he is, who, who we are, what he would have us do. We have God's word in all of its completeness. But that's not all we have. Realize if you're a follower of Christ, you have the spirit of God dwelling within you to, to guide you, to teach you, to remind you of God's word. That's why the, the psalmist talks about hiding God's word in our heart so that we wouldn't sin against God. That's why we learn that God's word is to be a light to our feet or a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, right? And you have the Holy Spirit within you to illuminate God's word both for and to you and not in an academic sense alone, though sometimes that's the case, but more often as you live life, you have the Holy Spirit that dwells within you to illuminate God's word, to, to turn the lights on so that you can see the truth of what God calls you to do in his word. Now, even so, uh, understanding all of these things, we come back to that question. How, how do you know what to do? How do you know what to choose? When it comes to the gray areas of life, right? Where you can't flip to a Bible passage and say, oh, man, well, I can't do this because God's word says I can't do that. What do you do with the gray areas? How do you choose? When you face decisions that you could just go one way or the other, how do you pick? Well, I'm so glad that you asked because that's what we're going to be focusing on today. The answer to this question and many others like it are contained throughout the scriptures, okay? But especially in the book of Romans. I found in the book of Romans we find so many principles. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 14. So Romans chapter 14. While you're doing that, let me give you some background. There are many opinions, okay, as we think about the book of Romans as a whole. There's many opinions as to why Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, to Christians in Rome. Certainly among them is that Paul is seeking to, to clearly lay out the basis of his theology and teaching. And yes, of course, that, that's very clear. One of the best explanations, I think, also is that Paul is in the midst of his missionary journeys and he's trying to raise support for his work, specifically to the Jews in Jerusalem. But in doing so, he's laying out the message that he is going to carry with him on his missionary journeys and as he does that, he really explains a lot of, of, of life. He explains who God is. He explains who we are and, and, and how we work and, and how Christianity works. Now, I should note that, again, I'm talking about Paul here as Paul's doing this and Paul's doing that. But I want to be clear about something. As, as I've talked about Paul's theology, right, as he's talking about how life works and so forth, realize I'm not trying to set him apart from anybody anybody else in the Bible, right? I'm not saying that, that Paul's theology is different from Luke or John's or Peter's or anything like that. No. Instead, this is the word of God. That God breathed out through Paul. Yes, Paul is the human author, but realize the ideas that are presented in Romans just like the ideas that are presented in Acts or Hebrews, right? It's not, those ideas are not the possessions of those authors. Again, it is God's word being breathed out. In this case, in Romans 14, 
breathed out through Paul, but this is the word of God, not just Paul's ideas. Instead, God's will is revealed here. Um, and as he reveals it, we've, again, Romans is just chock full, y'all. I mean, it's, it is the theological powerhouse of the New Testament. We, we learn about, again, who God is, who we are, how things work theologically, biblically, practically speaking. We even learn how to make decisions, especially in the gray areas of life. Now, again, Romans 14 is where we're going to be today. And it's important to understand where Romans 14 is situated Again, very broad. Chapters 1 through 8 of Romans, they, they really lay out this presentation of the gospel, right? But also the state of the world and the individual. We, we find out why the world is the way it is. Romans 9 through 11 focuses on God's attributes, specifically how he's the almighty God, how he's in charge of everything. But it also focuses on like his sovereign will and salvation and that kind of stuff. And then the rest of the book of Romans... It, it's really an array of topics, right? But overall, it focuses on Christian living in terms of personal theology. What you believe about God, why you believe that, why you do what you do, how you interact with others. And Romans 14 is nestled in the midst of this. And the focus of the chapter, if you've already turned there, you might have those nifty little chapter headings that are often, you know, they're not inspired, but they are handy. You might have seen something atop it like, like the law of liberty. But really chapter 14 is all about Christian liberty. What you can do as a believer. And why you should do what you do as a follower of Christ. And it's in the midst of this discussion that so many marvelous points and, and truths are revealed. Including how to make decisions. How you know what you should do. Now with that in mind we're going to start reading in verse 1. But let's pray first. And then we'll dig in. Our Father, please be with us now as we come to your word. As I've already mentioned, as part of your many gifts to us, you've given us your Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. But your Holy Spirit dwells within us not just for the sake of heaven and the eternal uh, afterlife, but instead your Holy Spirit dwells with us now to guide, to direct us, to illuminate to turn on the lights so that we can see. So please, indeed, turn the lights on in our heads and our hearts that we would understand what your word is really all about here. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand, because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore... 
whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will praise God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. All right. So, after reading this first portion of the chapter, many principles are set up to, to apply to so many different life situations. Now, we've read all of this, and I realize you may be scratching your head and saying, okay, I, I, I don't get it here. I know that, that for many of you, it, it's not like you're in a constant debate, okay, over what we've just read about. You're, you're not worried about the foods that you're allowed to eat and that you aren't allowed to eat. I take that back. There may be a few of you that are still trying to follow a New Year's resolution, right? And you may still be dieting. But I'm not talking about that sort of thing. Romans chapter 14, we're talking about foods that, spiritually speaking, I'm allowed to eat this. It's not going to be sinful for me to eat this. Most of us are not facing those dilemmas. But realize that when our passage speaks of clean and unfoods here, clean and unclean foods... What, what's really going on at the root here? Let, let's deal with this concept first, though. When our passage talks about clean and unclean foods, it's not talking about cleanliness of the kitchen and so forth, or, or the modern concept of clean eating, whether the food is sanitary, right, or whether it's processed or non-GMO. No, no, no. Again, this is all about religious practice, namely how in the Old Testament there were dietary laws about what types of meats And not only what animals, right, but what cuts of meat could be eaten. Other things, too. There were some foods, some meats that were entirely forbidden. Um, I think about, you know, Ron Swanson, bacon-wrapped shrimp, okay? And like him, that's my number one food wrapped around my number three food. That was outright forbidden. Couldn't eat pork, couldn't eat shellfish of any kind, right? And, And shrimp is included in that. Oysters, that kind of thing. It wasn't about physical cleanliness but instead those dietary laws. And the dietary laws of the Old Testament were another way that God set his people apart from all others. Oh, and our passage also, again, it has nothing to do with veganism or vegetarianism as some moral high ground over people who eat meat, okay? Verse 2, about some eating whatever they want and others eating only vegetables, that's not about being a vegetarian or a vegan, okay? Don't come at me with that stuff. I I love the bumper sticker, eat beef. The West was not one on salads, okay? And I I definitely affirm that. All right. Now, I know you all may not be engaged in, in, in conversations on a regular basis over dietary laws. I get that. But it's the principles, again, in what was just laid forth that we just read that are so applicable to this subject of how we make choices. While we may not argue over what food we're permitted to eat, Each person has his own convictions or her own convictions about what's good and right and true, don't we? What's permissible for Christians and what isn't permissible. And y'all, it's not a simple saying, well, the Bible says you can't do that. There are lots of things that we conclude that we should and shouldn't do that are not addressed in the Bible, not specifically, or that aren't addressed in ways that we might like. 
I'll give you an example. Not necessarily that we don't like how it's addressed, but I'll give you an example of something that's controversial. Take, for instance, the subject of alcohol consumption. Right? Amongst Christians, this can be very controversial. There are some Christians that say you shouldn't drink at all. Period. Never drink. They say it's sinful to drink. Now, we know that biblically speaking, it's not called a sin to drink alcohol. What's a sin in, in the Bible, according to Ephesians 5 and so many other places, is becoming drunk. Okay, Being a drunkard is the sin, not drinking alcohol. Even so, some Christians say you should never drink, ever. Right? Other Christians say, wait a minute, the sin isn't drinking, it's being a drunk. So if I want to consume alcohol, it's not sinful. Again, this is an example of gray areas. Right? Of people having different convictions over what you ought to do. There are other examples of this. Take, take the one that we're dealing with here in Romans 14. Um, what was going on here is early Christians in the church in Rome, right? There were some that said, I can't eat any meat that I buy from the marketplace in Rome. And the reason I can't eat it is because I know that that meat has been sacrificed to false gods and goddesses. I, I know that that animal was sacrificed to this god, and now they're selling its meat in the marketplace. So I can't eat that. And some Christians would say, yeah, that's right. We can't eat this meat. It's been, you know. Others say, well, I don't, I don't care. I don't worship that god or that goddess. I don't worship that idol, and, and it's a better deal on the meat. I can eat whatever I want. And before you say, well, okay, those barbarians, that's silly. Um, you know, while we don't have that exact paradigm going on, don't we have things like boycotts? Where some Christians say, well, I can't drink this kind of soda. I can't drive this kind of car. I can't go to see this movie. I can't support this restaurant because they support fill-in-the-blank over here, right? Um, others say, well, I don't care what they said. I don't support that, so I can go there. So it's not so far-fetched what's going on in Romans 14 here, okay? Look, at the core of these examples, whether it's alcohol consumption, whether it's the meat issue, at the core is that a dilemma is presented about what you're allowed to do and what you aren't allowed to do. And that's what Paul goes on to address. A, a principle is laid out in God's word in Romans chapter 14 that we read. And that principle is the principle of conscience. And the fact that God judges his own children. That's why there's so much in what we just read about God being the judge and standing before God. Verses 3 and 4 again. Well, let's look at them. They say, one who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not judge one who does because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, y'all, what's being presented here is that our focus should not be on judging each other in these gray areas where you can't point to, to, to fill in the blank verse and say, all right, that's clearly forbidden. It's the Lord ultimately that judges. Now you might say to this, well, wait a second, Paul seems a little flippant here. Paul doesn't take sin seriously. Um, if he did, he wouldn't say things so loosey-goosey. And if that's you, and, and don't laugh because I have heard that argument. I've heard people say, well, uh, Paul is not taking sin seriously here. If that's the, you, then um, two things. Number one, yes, Paul is the author of the letter to Romans like we talked about. But remember, this is God's word. 
So don't give me any of this business about Paul's attitude here. This is God's attitude toward this subject that we are reading, okay? And I can assure you that God is not loosey-goosey about sin. But also, number two, if you're on some sort of moral high horse because you think that you have to come up with this long list of rules to follow that are not based on God's word, not really, okay? If you think you have to come up with rules and regulations, um, realize what God says about that in his word. Verse 2, we read it already. One person believes he made anything, may eat anything, while one who is weak only eats vegetables. What I'm getting at is this. According to God's word, and forget about me, it's not the Christians who, who add a bunch of rules, who have this long checklist to follow. Those are not the strong ones. And that's counterintuitive because a lot of times we think the holy people are the ones that, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. And can't smoke, chew, or go with girls that do, and I can't see this movie. I can't. It, we think, oh, those are the really holy people. Well, according to verse 2, the weak people are the ones that have to add a bunch of things to God's word. Right? Nevertheless, uh, if you hear that and you're saying, yeah, get them, pastor. Don't be clapping for me for saying that because in the very next verse we're told that none of us should be looking down on our brothers and sisters. That's, that's that judging thing, right? Y'all, it comes down to this. The paradigm for Christian living that we've already read is that we all belong to the Lord and it's the Lord that will ultimately judge us. God judges all of us. He doesn't need us to be judging one another. Okay? Now let me be very clear. I'm not talking... That is one of the most misused and misquoted concepts. People do things like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. We're not talking about things that are clearly forbidden in God's word, okay? We're talking about the gray areas of life. And in those gray areas, in all areas, but certainly in those areas where we're all working based on the conviction of our hearts, this is why in verses 7 and 8 we read, For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die... We belong to the Lord. That's why verse 12 says, each one of us then will give an account of himself to God. Now, all of that being said, pointing to the power of conviction and conscience and all these things, you might be saying, okay, great, that's wonderful. Don't judge other believers about their convictions. Check, I I, I got it, okay? I understand this. But what about knowing what God wants me to do? How, How do I know? Again, I'm so glad that you asked. Let's keep reading in Romans chapter 14. Look at the application here, starting in verse 13. It says, Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone who died for Christ or someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. 
It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Now, I get it. That's a lot. But let's focus on the application, combining this with what we started reading this morning. Verse 13, again, it says, Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. Y'all, a principle is presented here. Okay, The principle presented here is first, don't look down on one another for the choices that you make regarding matters of Christian liberty, the gray areas. And second, don't tempt others by your choices. That's what that language is about pitfalls and stumbling blocks. You know what those things are? The idea of a stumbling block is something that you can put in another person's path that they'll tip over or that they'll trip over, excuse me. A pitfall is a hole that you dig that somebody can fall into, right? I I think about my backyard where Bo, when he was a puppy, and I need to fill some of these spots now. Every once in a while, he still gets the urge to dig. He's almost six years old, but he's got these massive paws but man he could just dig a hole you know like that but he he digs these holes and of course the grass grows over and you're walking along and then you know broken ankle time right it's not exactly a pit but it's a hole that he has left behind that I can step in that visual metaphor that image is what we should apply to the choices we make we shouldn't do things that will intentionally trip people up we shouldn't do things that will call others to stumble and fall. What does that mean, practically speaking? Well, well, practically speaking, it means, let's take the issue of alcohol. If you know of a believer who thinks that alcohol is sinful, don't judge them for that. That's the conviction of their heart, and they belong to the Lord, and they're allowed to have it. Okay? Don't judge them for that. But at the same time, you don't need to be drinking in front of them. Because if you do that, you'll be putting a a stumbling block in front of them. You'll be digging a pitfall for them, right? You could put them in a situation where they may be tempted to judge you. And that's terrible. Or you might put them in a situation where they're tempted to drink even though they believe it's a sin. Tempting them to do something they shouldn't do. And it's that last thing, this, this point that is so important... Because the most important principle of this passage that is so often overlooked, it's revealed in the very last verse of the chapter. And yes, this applies to decision making. But look at Romans 14, 23. It says, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. Other translations, your translation might simply say, The one who doubts sins. Look, if you know somebody has a problem with something that is a gray area in life like alcohol, and if you go and drink in front of them, you're tempting that person to violate his or her own conscience and join in. And the principle, the the truth revealed in Romans 14, 23, is that it doesn't matter what it is. If you act, if you make a decision to do something and the whole while you'll, you're doubting whether or not you're allowed to? The principle revealed there is if you act in doubt, you're guilty of sin. Now this presents an issue. Some might hear that and say, wait a minute, preacher. Are you saying that, 
something can be a sin for one person and not a sin for somebody else? Well, forget about me. Because I didn't write Romans 14, 23 and Romans chapter 14. That's what God's word is saying. Because y'all look, sin is not as simple as just a list. Many sins are, right? You got the Ten Commandments. All sorts of sins are articulated in God's word. And there's no debate about those things. It's never right to murder somebody. It's never right to steal. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the gray areas of life. We're talking about these quandaries that we face when it's issues of conscience. Sin is not always as simple as a list. Why? Because what do we know about the Lord? We know that he looks at the heart. We know that the Lord looks at motivation. And to complicate matters further, sometimes you can do the right thing, but if you do it for the wrong reasons... The right thing becomes the wrong thing for you. If you do something kind for somebody, but the only reason you do it is because you want recognition for it, or if you're going to use it to to have power over that individual, that's sinful, and that's just one example. Sin often is based on the conscience. Not always. Again, there's some things it doesn't matter. There's no excuse for it. It's clearly delineated sin. But in these gray areas, based on the conscience, For one person, something may be a sin, but for another person, it may not be. And again, being clear, this doesn't apply to the clearly articulated sins of God's word. Gray areas, though, issues of liberty are different. And the issue is that if you doubt whether or not God wants you to do something, and you do it anyway, then you're guilty of sin. That's the key here to decisions. The metaphor I've used for this, the example I've used for this, this is like a a child that wanders into the kitchen, right? After school, wanders into the kitchen, and he sees the cookie jar. He sees that his mother has been baking. And he looks at that cookie jar, right? And he says to himself, boy, I'd really like one of those cookies. But I wonder if I should. You know, my mom didn't say to me, now listen, Johnny, stay out of the cookie jar. Yeah. Mom didn't say that to me, but at the same time, I know that mom tells me she doesn't want me snacking this close to dinner. And should I just, maybe she make, she bake those cookies for a special occasion, and I probably, I shouldn't probably just take one without asking her first. I, I don't know. You see the, the point here. It's a quandary, right? It's a gray area. Johnny doesn't really know. But if Johnny just looks at those cookies and says, well, she didn't tell me not to. I'm going to take one anyway. Y'all, and if he does, and if he eats that cookie, it doesn't matter at that point whether his mother would have said, oh, yeah, John, of course, you know, they're, they're there. I'm not saving it. Yeah, grab a cookie. You know, dinner's going to be a little bit late. Sure, go ahead. It doesn't matter if that's what she was going to say. It doesn't matter if it would have been okay. The reason it doesn't matter is because Johnny took that cookie and he ate it not knowing if he should. He acted in doubt. He acted in rebellion. And y'all, that illustrates the scenario presented here where again, to quote 1423, it's the one who doubts. It's the one who acts not knowing that sin. Okay. 
When you take that concept and you apply it to Christian liberty and life, it, 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 it's the same principle for us and the decisions that we make. Now, you might be saying, okay, I'm tracking with you, preacher. What does this have to do with precision, uh, decision making? How do I know what to choose? Apply that principle. As you go through life, okay, let's get very practical here. As you go through life and you're confronted with decisions, you need to ask questions about the possible decisions that you face, right? Ask yourself questions with scenarios. Let's make a hypothetical one. Let's say that you have three, you have a decision to make, but you have three possible options in front of you. Option A, option B, or option C. Based on what we've read and the idea that we are accountable to God, that we have God's word, the first question that you need to ask when you have options is, are any of these options sinful? Is there something in one of these options that just violates God's word? Let's say option C is unwise. And we know it's sinful to act in an unwise fashion. Well, if you can say, all right, I've got option A, B, and C, but option C is sinful, option C is no longer an option for you. Take it off the table because God, and listen, take this to the bank. If you remember anything I ever say at Old Providence, let it be this. God never condones what his word forbids. God will never condone what his word forbids, and he will never lead you to do anything that is sinful. Don't give me any of this garbage about, well, I've talked with God about this, and I have peace over this. Y'all, I've learned that, you know, when somebody says to you, I want you to know I've been praying about this, I'm, I'm thinking, where exactly is the knife going to go right here? Because sometimes people say, I've been praying about this before they really... You, They'll just smoke you after that, okay? Really and truly, y'all, um, God is never going to lead you to do something that his word forbids. So if option C is sinful, option C is not an option anymore. But let's say you're down to option A and B, right? Look at option A and B and say, all right, are option A and B sinful? No, it's not. Uh, okay. That brings in the next question. Because based on everything that we've read about God being our judge, about us belonging to God and living our lives for God, we also read a whole lot about our fellow followers of Christ, didn't we? We read a whole lot about our fellow servants and how we shouldn't lead them to sin. So if you have option A and B left, the next question, number two, is you need to ask, will it cause someone else to sin if I do this? Will I be digging a hole for someone to fall into by my actions? Will I lay out a stumbling block if I choose option A or B? Now, let me be careful here with something. Notice I didn't ask if everybody would be pleased with your decision. That's two different things. But if your decision causes someone to sin, you can't choose that either. Option A and B, you can't choose something that will lead someone else to sin. Now, back to that hypothetical scenario, option A, B, or C. Option C, remember that one's sinful. We took that off the table we got option A and B left. Not only are they not sinful, they're not going to cause someone else to sin. So back to the central question. What do you do? you got option A, you got option B. How do you choose? How do you know what God's will is? And then people start creating the scenario of, what if I pick the wrong one? Well, my friends, take the principles that we've learned today in Romans 14. If you have two options in front of you, and both of those options are valid, in other words, they're not sinful and they don't cause someone else to sin. Let me tell you, God is not waiting around the corner to swat you for picking the wrong one. 
How do I know? Because of verse 14. In it is written, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still to someone who considers the thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. And you might say, what does that have to do with option A and B? Look, do you know the implication for this in decision making? If you take what's written there and you combine it with all sorts of statements like John 8, 36, where Jesus says, if the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. If you combine these ideas of verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. And if you combine that with Jesus saying you've been set free, let me tell you, if you have two options or more in front of you and they don't cause you to sin or someone else to sin, if those options aren't unwise and you'd be acting sinfully in those, how do you know what to do? Well, if you really believe that everything's been made clean, as we just read in Romans 14, and if you really believe that Jesus has set you free, the answer to how do you know what to do, do what you want to do. It really is that simple. Do what you want to do. Choose the thing that you want to do. Why? Because you've been given the freedom in Christ to choose what you want to do. As long as it isn't sinful. As long as it doesn't lead somebody else to sin. Paul said this of, of, he was talking about food to a certain extent, but he said everything has been made clean. God isn't out there lurking around some corner. Look, if you've got option A and B and you really don't know which one God wants you to do, but you know what you want to do, Do what you want because don't think so poorly of God to think that he wouldn't illuminate for you by his Holy Spirit or he wouldn't show you in his word that which he would not have you do. Don't turn God into some boogeyman waiting around the corner to to jump on you if you just happen to pick the wrong thing. That doesn't fit into who God is. And don't think so poorly of his word to think that if there wasn't something specific about a scenario being sinful, don't think so little of the Holy Spirit that that you would conclude that God wouldn't show you that. In life, all the time we face options and we've been given the freedom in Christ to choose. And as long as it isn't sinful, as long as it doesn't lead somebody else to sin, we can choose what we want based on the fact that we're free in Christ and that God has given us that ability. And we can choose without fear and without doubt. Now, that being said, if you get to the point that you say, well, I'm going to choose option B, but then you're like, I don't know. I I don't think I can do that. I don't know if it's right. Option B is no longer an option, y'all, because the one who doubts sins. But I hope that you see the principle here. God has given you his word, the fullness of his revelation. He's given you his Holy Spirit. That's why we find passages like Romans 12, 2, where it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, your relationship with the Lord should be such that you're growing with him, you're walking with the Lord, and in so doing, it continues... 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But y'all, in the gray areas of life, you're allowed to do what you want to do without fear. You really are. In Christ, you have freedom. Take that assurance. God loves you just that much. He will provide and he will make his will known. And you can do what you want. If you know him and if you love him, bask in that love. Cherish it. Live a life of liberty because it glorifies him. But make sure you're not causing other people to sin. But if you don't know him, turn to him today. Because y'all, I don't know what people do that don't know the Lord. I think in part that's why the world is so crazy. Because people don't know who's in charge. They, they wonder. They embrace these horrible ideas. I, I, I was just having a, a conversation about a political ideal that, well, I'm not even going to be vague about it. it. It's not biblical, the idea of socialism. You know, private property is a biblical ideal, and it's okay to own property and that kind of stuff. But people embrace these horrible, terrible ideals based on greed and all sorts of foolishness. And it, that's how the world works around you. You're called to something higher, Christian. And if you don't know Christ, then you're at the mercies of that world around you. Ask him to save you and he will. Turn to him, repent of your sins, ask him to forgive you and you'll be given forgiveness. And this newness of life can be yours, yes, and with it the surety to trust in the Lord, to lean not on your own understanding and he will make your path straight. Do what you want. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us. And I thank you for all the blessings of belonging to you, including the blessing that you've given us freedom. You've given us your word to define what sin is. You've given us our brothers and sisters in Christ to look out for. But in those circumstances where that's not an issue and we get to choose, you give us freedom in Christ. Let us go forward with boldness. Let us choose all the while looking to you. If any there are here that do not know you, Father, please work in their hearts. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, next week we will be here in person. We are still having those 9 and 11 a.m. services because we're not in the sanctuary. We'll let you know about that congregational meeting, but we'll be back next week, Lord willing. And even if we're not, if something does happen and we have to cancel, which I don't think is going to happen, we would be here at 9 o'clock anyway. Also, daily devotionals tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Perhaps I will see you there. But thank you all so much for being a part of this time. Blessings to you.